Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Stephanie Everett. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 342 of the Lawyerist podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, Stephanie's talking with Lawyerist Lab financial coach Bernadette Harris about how to think through your financial strategy in your firm. Today's podcast is brought to you by DK Global, Postali, Rankings.io, and TextExpander. We wouldn't be able to do our show without their support, so please stay tuned because we're going to tell you more about them later on. Bernadette has been on the podcast as a guest before, and I'm super excited for your conversation with her that follows. It occurs to me, though, that we haven't maybe done a great job of talking about how Bernadette is a resource to members of Lawyerist Lab. Yeah, I love Bernadette. From the moment we met, I hit it off with her. She's so great. And one of the things that she does so well is break down finances into really simple, easy to understand terms. And we all know that we can benefit from that. Yep. Finances is one of those topics that so many lawyers who went to law school not wanting to do numbers and didn't learn business skills in law school come out and don't want to have to think about back office finances. And so if people are in our lab program, one of the things that they can do is, is first, we have a lot of tools that we offer of how to think through their finances, how to build financial key performance indicators or KPIs and templates that they can use for their financial strategy. But now they can also get onto a call with Bernadette and have a one-on-one session and she'll open up and look at your books and look at your income statement and your balance sheet and ask you questions and answer your questions so that you can think about how does this number, what does it tell me about the health of my business? And I know sometimes people have gone to her thinking, wow, I need to really cut some expenses. I feel like my ratios are off. And she's able to help them see that maybe their expenses are in line, but they need to be generating more income. And so she can really help conceptualize those numbers into what they're telling us about our business. When it comes to law firm finance and accounting, there are unfortunately too many lawyers who don't even have clean books or who don't get their books clean until tax time comes. And that makes it impossible to then make financial strategies from bad data. So there's no question, and I think Bernadette is going to mention in today's episode, the need for law firms to make sure they've got a process in place for regularly cleaning up and reconciling their accounts. But once you do, that doesn't imply that all of the sudden you're going to be able to draw insights. That requires the next level of strategic thinking that Bernadette is expert in bringing to law firms to think about, now that I've got these clean books, what can I draw from them that will help me manage and grow the practice? It's super valuable work. And it even goes beyond that. It's helping you think through your financial controls and just helping you make sure All the financial pieces of your business are set up properly. So I know that she's also helped people think through what their bookkeeper is doing, their outsourced bookkeeper versus like a controller role. Like she just really helps you take 
that whole category of finances that we like to think are strange and we don't want to think about. And she breaks it down for you and, and helps you figure out what exactly you need for your business as part of these coaching sessions. So it's a super valuable resource that we have that I don't think we brag about enough because I think she's awesome. We talk a lot about how Lawyerist Lab members get an amazing peer community, how they get strategic leadership coaching from you, how they can get marketing coaching from other folks. But even given all of that, I think one of the most valuable reasons one might join Lawyerist Lab would be for the financial strategy coaching that they can get with Bernadette. So now we'll have Zach's conversation with DK Global and then my conversation with Bernadette. Hey, y'all. It's Zach, the legal tech advisor here at Lawyerist. Today, I'm joined by Danielle Burgess of DK Global. Danielle is DK Global's creative director of medical illustrations and animation and a certified medical illustrator for them. For those of you who don't know, DK Global makes animated demonstratives for use at trial, mediation, arbitration, and demand packages. Danielle, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Zach. Thanks so much for having me. So, I'd like to know more about this all from a medical illustrator standpoint. I guess first and foremost, how does one become a certified medical illustrator? Sure. Becoming a certified medical illustrator is a little bit more complicated than it might seem. I think that the major step is having a master's from an accredited university in medical illustration. Most people start as um, getting a master's or some sort of graduate education and medical illustration. And then the second part of it is having board certification from the Association of Medical Illustrators. Yeah, in order to get that certification, you have to take a three-leg exam, and um, then you also have to have a portfolio review and a few things like that. Okay. You got to have a background in with anatomy and dissection and all that stuff, all, all those things that you would need to know in order to be to explain this to someone. That's correct. Yes. So the graduate education encompasses all of that. A lot of human anatomy, dissection, surgical illustration, where we actually go into the OR and illustrate and draw the surgeries as they're happening. Yeah, very interesting. And yeah. yeah. So as a certified medical illustrator, I think one of the, the bigger questions is what's the process? How do you go about explaining this information that comes in from, I imagine, other experts? to lay people like myself, like juries, the opposing counsel, like insurance carriers on the other side. How do we go about doing that? The ultimate goal is to educate whomever it would be, whether that is the jury, whether that's the attorneys, whether that's the people that we're trying to mediate with. You know, we want everyone to have an understanding of what's going on. And a lot of times these injuries or the Accidents are very complex and they involve very complex anatomy. So as a medical illustrator at DK, we're working with the experts, with the surgeons, with the traumatic brain injury professionals, very intelligent people that have an in-depth knowledge of their field. Mm -hmm. There's a disconnect from them. And the attorneys or from them and the jury or whoever the audience might be. So our ultimate goal at DK Global is to create a bridge. We can communicate with the experts and we can work with them to create a product that allows everyone to understand this anatomy, this injury, 
this accident, whatever it is we're trying to demonstrate. I like how you say it helps everyone understand it because I, as an attorney, I, I've gotten packages from experts where I've looked at it and gone, yeah, I got no idea. Or I, I get it conceptually, but I realize that I don't even understand really what it is and helping the attorneys that hired you understand what is going on in some of these injuries is interesting to me here. Sure. We're all working together. Whenever we get a giant package of client materials, it's all of these medical documents and bills and expert reports. And all of this is very impersonal. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to visualize all of this happening to a specific person. Mm -hmm. We're taking all of this information and we're putting it into these visual representations, these medical illustrations, these medical animations, whatever it might be. And we're putting it with a character likeness that looks like the plaintiff. And we are taking all of those client materials, all of the MRIs, all the CT scans, and we're evaluating the injuries and we're working with the experts to make sure that everything is completely accurate, that's perfectly represented. And then we are creating presentations that allow our audience, the jury, whomever, to understand what's going on. Why do I, who has a, a doctorate in jurisprudence, not understand this stuff? Because I don't know anything, because it's crazy. It's, it's MRIs. It's stuff I don't look at. I think the, the issue is that the general public, most people, even highly educated people like yourself, don't understand anatomy. Right. Yeah. Because it's complex. It's convoluted. So having someone who can look at MRIs, can look at medical imagery, can look at report and understand it to take all that information and package it up and present it visually. That's the key. Having something that we can look at. It's very easy for us. We can talk about injuries. We can list all of these super complex brain injuries. And there's a lot of words that people don't understand, but people do understand when you see a head that has an injury, like they they can relate to that. So I think it's creating relatable Mm -hmm. visuals, taking a character likeness or the likeness of whatever person we're trying to represent, the plaintiff or whomever, and actually showing what they've gone through, showing the accident, showing all of these injuries on their physical body. That creates a deep sense of empathy Mm -hmm. for the viewer to be able to see, wow, this is a person who had to endure all of these things. Whenever you see a a body that has a broken arm or traumatic brain injury, like it's very relatable. And I think it's very powerful. People can really see that and sympathize with it. It's one thing to to look at an x-ray and to see something disjointed. And with a layperson like me looking at that, I go, okay, obviously there's some sort of fracture there or something like that. And it would have to be pretty big for me to notice it. But when you represent it, when you have an expert like yourself taking that information and packaging it in a way that I can look at it and say, okay, that that is what a that's a three-dimensional representation of what a broken arm looks like. And that I can relate to. Sure. Broken arms, unfortunately. But looking at at x-rays, I don't look at x-rays all day long. I don't have a clue. I I can't represent that in my head. Yeah, I think that the trick is being able to visualize it, being able to understand all of the layers of the anatomy as well. So whenever you see an x-ray, you also have to think like, we're only seeing bone. Mm -hmm. 
there's a lot of other trauma that happens to that area that we can represent with a 3D figure in our presentation that I think gets lost with just seeing an x-ray. People see that and they're like, oh my goodness, their humerus is broken in half. But whenever we show that, we can show that their entire arm is filled with blood and has a hematoma and we can show all of the additional tissue injuries and it really adds a lot of layers to the complexity and the actual severity of the injuries. Well, and to me, that's why this would be helpful, not only as a demonstrative exhibit at trial, but in mediation, arbitration with demand packages saying, listen, this is even if the other side looking at this evidence, they may be just like me and say, okay, but this is a broken arm. I don't know that I understand it. But then when you guys, when the people that hire you, they send that demand package or they send that demonstrative exhibit over in mediation then the other side can say oh that's what this is (laughs) oh wow this is really bad because like like we've said before you you get one shot at getting damages in the american uh, system and so you you have to make sure that is a good shot you take your best and you with your expertise helping to explain what these other experts have been able to determine have been able to run tests on that is an integral part of getting this to the other side, to the jury, to the, the the arbiters, to the finders of facts, whether it's in mediation or arbitration or just sending it to the opposing insurance company. Danielle, th- thanks for being with me today. I, this has been eye-opening for me. And if people want to know more about what DK Global does or see some examples, they can go to dkglobal.com forward slash services. And they have medical illustrations there along with other examples. And you can get a feel for what they do. I'm super excited to have you back on the show and pick up where we left off, which if people haven't listened to the first show we did with Bernadette, please go do it because it was so informative. We really we went over the profit and loss or income statement and the balance sheet, which I know are just like foreign words for so many people. And I thought it was and it was fun, too. So it's not your uh, college accounting class, I promise. And so we thought that now it might be fun to pick up where we left off and talk about maybe the next step in thinking about your firm finances and budgeting and forecasting and all kinds of good stuff. But before we even can get there, what do we need to know in order to do this process? So a lot of times, you and I, we both get these questions a lot. People want to set up budgets. They want to create forecasting. And before you can do any of that, you have to have an accounting system in place. So when we say an accounting system, it's a little bit more than an Excel spreadsheet. But if that's all you have, it's something. So essentially, you need a system that is tracking your income, your expenses, your liabilities, all of those things over a period of time. And because we need that historical data in order to create future data. That makes sense. Every dollar in, every dollar out has to be tracked. That's And we got to track it. So think of it as like we're putting it into buckets, but it needs to be in the right bucket because we need to know how many dollars are in each bucket before we can start forecasting or budgeting or anything like that. And so The first step that I was saying is to make sure that you have a strong accounting system. So when I was thinking about our conversation today, Stephanie, I was thinking about how a lot of people use quick. And what I've also found in the 20 years that I've been in business is 
a lot of people underuse QuickBooks. And so what I mean by that is that Quick for them, QuickBooks is probably just their electronic check register. And so it's just tracking money in and out. The transactions may or may not be categorized correctly. The AR may or may not be accurate. When I say AR, accounts receivables, this is the account that tracks who owes you money, a very important. And so a lot of people are underusing QuickBooks because it's so much more than an online checkbook or online check register. I would imagine for some of the lawyers where this also gets complicated is that I know many lawyers are using like their project management system, like a Clio or fill in the blank, practice Panther, you name it, to do their invoicing and to track their time. It's often also your trust accounting and where you have to realize all the boxes you have to fill is that's great, but you also need to be tracking your operating accounting system is what I would call it. I don't know. You probably have a more fancy word for it, but that Clio as it's currently set up does not do that back in operations accounting for you. So we can send out your invoices and it could show you your AR and it can monitor your trust accounts, but it's not telling you how much you spent on rent versus a marketing expense versus... Exactly. Exactly. That is exactly it. And even like you said, those practice management softwares or systems are invaluable. They make doing what you do a lot easier. And I am pro practice management systems. What I'm saying is there's a way that you can link Clio or any of the other practice management systems so that it integrates with QuickBooks. And so QuickBooks still has that accurate Data. So it's really important before you start thinking about budgeting or forecasting is that you want to evaluate your finance team. Some lawyers are savvy enough to do some of their bookkeeping themselves. Some of you have bookkeepers that are doing your books for you, and then you have a CPA or a tax accountant who prepares your tax return. But you want to kind of look at that team to see if there's a way that you can make it all come together. Because essentially, we need all of this information in QuickBooks if that's the accounting system that you're using. And I guess I'll just add into there's other accounting systems outside of QuickBooks. And there are a few, only a handful, but there are a few practice management solutions that do include that operational accounting built in. Cosmolix, for example, has all of it built in where you don't need to link to a QuickBooks So if you have that system, you can evaluate the differences. But just so you know, you need to be tracking it somewhere and you need to be using something as the bottom line at the end of the day and make sure you're getting it in. But you bring up an interesting point, and I think it's worth, even if we've done it before, bookkeepers. I feel like it feels like a mystery to some lawyers, right? Like we know what an associate does versus a partner for most of us. If we think about the law firm structure, I think when it comes over to the accounting side, we hear these terms used like CPA or accountant or bookkeeper, and sometimes it can be a mystery to us. So when you say you need to have a bookkeeper in place, what are the primary functions you're looking for that person to do for you? That's going to vary from firm to firm. It's going to vary based on the size of your firm the budget that you have to provide that. But some of the things that you want to think about is a bookkeeper is someone who could handle day-to-day kind of transactions as far as recording them in QuickBooks, paying bills, 
running payroll, just making sure that the firm kind of keeps going. And honestly, there are some lawyers who handle many of those functions themselves. And that's okay if you're fine with that. If that's where your skill set is, then I say go for it and maybe have a bookkeeper that can complement and do the things that maybe is not your skill set. So one of the things that I do like in my firm is we evaluate what needs to happen. And then we also look at who can do what. And so if Stephanie, if you and I were sitting down and having a conversation, I would say to you, okay, Stephanie, these 10 things need to happen every single month. Which of these 10 things are you comfortable with doing? And based on those 10 things, then we can figure out how our team can help with the others. So you can say, oh, I can write the checks or I can run payroll. I just need to make sure that these things are done. And you kind of outsource it like that. So bookkeepers can help you in that sense. Most of the time, bookkeepers are not accountants. Sometimes they are. But many times they're not accountants. So they know where to categorize stuff. They may not do like your depreciation or they may not do amortization schedules. And I just said two bad words, but essentially like they don't do those kind of things. The complicated stuff that we just hear and think, oh, I know that needs to be done, but I don't really want to know how that sausage is made. Exactly, exactly. And so the bookkeeper might not do those types of things, but they will keep your books current and make sure transactions are in the right place. And then your tax accountant or your CPA, and you can use those interchangeably because you don't have to have a CPA to be a tax accountant, but they can be the ones to come back and do those bad words. Make sure the depreciation entries are done and your amortization, which is like when you have a loan and you know that when you pay back a loan, you pay back part principal, part interest. And so making sure that those kind of things are done. And so that is maybe a role. Some bookkeepers, more advanced bookkeepers may do those things, but a lot of times those are things that are left for the accountant. And then the accountant is also the person who would help with preparing a tax return at the end of the year. Got it. And so then I think if we were drawing the hierarchy, you know, you've got your bookkeeper doing a lot of those day-to-day. Is is a controller similar to an Accountant, is that a So a controller would be more, it would be a, probably a combination of those things. So if you had a controller in your business, then the controller is a combination of a bookkeeper and an accountant. And they're doing like controller type tasks. And then that also goes to a lot of people are hearing about fractional CFOs or things. And so the CFO is over the controller. So the CFO is the person that is doing the bookkeeping tasks, the accounting tasks, and you're also doing more strategic planning type stuff. So your CFO is going to be the person who, in addition to making sure that the bookkeeping is done, the accounting stuff is done. We're also looking at what we're going to be talking about a little bit later in this podcast, making sure that you have budgets in place and you're forecasting and you're making sure that you're following those budgets and things like that. Yes. I think it's so helpful that we just break down these different roles, really different responsibilities, because as a business owner, you want to make sure all of these things are happening for your business, right? You need the day-to-day stuff. You need the monthly account reconciliation. I know so many people, maybe you've never balanced your checkbook in yes. this what oh, you should be. <laughs> Regularly. Yep. 
stop there for one second because, oh my gosh, I did, I was working with a new client this week and their account had never been reconciled. And I'm thinking, oh wow, how did you file your taxes? Because here's the thing, when you reconcile your account, what you are essentially doing is you are checking it. So remember when we were elementary school and and we got to check our own homework sometimes? Essentially, it's like that. So you're essentially saying you're taking your bank statement. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's your accountant. But we're taking a bank statement and we're looking at your your check register and we're just making sure that everything on that check register is on that bank statement and vice versa. So what reconciliation does is it makes sure that you don't have double entries. It makes sure that you've accounted for all of your income. And, and that's essentially, it's more than just balancing the check, but it's just making sure that all of the income has been accounted for. Because some people say, oh, I use QuickBooks online and it's connected to my bank account. But what right. you don't realize is sometimes that connection gets lost in a day. You may It may miss a day. So it may not download a transaction. And that's the day you had a $5,000 deposit. So now your bank, your bank account register in QuickBooks is short $5,000 and you don't know it because you're not reconciling your accounts. Yes. Thank you. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad you said that because I was going to ask you like, but my account's connected. And so they just register. And I'm like, no, people, that is not sufficient. We've got to be perfect. Accounting right. is like perfection. And, and I think as a bit, so you need to know all these different roles. Like it's so easy to just think, oh, I have a bookkeeper. They're handling all my firm's accounting functions. And the reality is they might be, but chances are they're not. Because as we just discussed, look at all these different components that you have just to this one piece of your business from the invoicing and the collections and then account the money coming in and making sure those get accounted for correctly and writing the checks out and paying vendors and payroll and then the reconciliation process and then the larger accounting process each year for tax prep and depreciation. That's a lot of stuff. And I don't say this to overwhelm people, but you need to understand that all of these things need to be happening and understand who is doing it for your business or not doing it might be the case. So if that's the case, <laughs> let's talk because yeah. the help is out there. That, and that's the good news. I think businesses like yours uh, are great because now what we're seeing too is outsourced bookkeeping companies or financial companies is probably even a better phrase are even offering these different levels of services. You get the bookkeeper and the accountant functions and that fractional CFO kind of all in one, which is all. And it's a lot less than if you actually had a CFO on staff or you had three people, a bookkeeper, a controller, and a CFO. So Awesome. That is so helpful. I know that this has already been super valuable. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, let's dive into that CFO function that we just hinted about. Support for today's episode comes from rankings.io. A search engine optimization agency working exclusively for personal injury law firms. Simply put, Rankings.io helps personal injury law firms dominate first page rankings. You'll never have to chase them for an update or hunt them down for an answer. Your clients expect you to be accessible, and Rankings will meet that standard for communication and transparency. You'll have a full team of SEO specialists fighting to put you at the top of the Google search results. Personal injury lawyer SEO is all they do. So all of their processes, playbooks, and people are completely focused on generating qualified cases for your firm. Best of all, you'll be one of an elite few. 
Delivering exceptional service and results requires focus. So Rankings.io carefully vets clients before accepting them. They're an ideal fit for growth-oriented personal injury law firms. To see if you're a fit, visit Rankings.io forward slash lawyerist to get started. It's hard to keep up with trends when you're rushing to court and helping clients, but new cases hinge on topping the results page. You need a marketing partner to keep you informed and your firm growing. That partner is Postali, and you should know about Google Local Service Ads. LSAs connect you with folks searching for nearby legal services. LSAs show up at the top of the page, higher than maps and other listings. And the best part, you only pay if you're contacted through the ad. Appearing when somebody searches for lawyers near me has never been easier or more affordable, letting you focus on the law. LSAs are a great addition to existing PPC efforts or a standalone initiative. Quickly initiated by the Postali team, LSAs and a partnership with Postali can get your firm where it belongs. To learn more about LSAs and Postali services, visit postali.com forward slash lawyerist and reach out for a free consultation. Support for today's episode comes from Text Expander. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work so you can focus on what matters most. Say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. Better than copy and paste, better than scripts and templates, Text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your messages. Text Expander can be used in any platform, any app, anywhere you type. Take your time back and increase your productivity. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Just visit textexpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. Okay, we're back with Bernadette and let's tackle that idea we started to bring up, which is a fractional CFO and that more strategic financial thinking. So what do we need to know about, or, or I don't know, how do we even get? Yeah. So we started out, we talked about how important it is to make sure that you have a accounting system, right? And your accounting system is accurate because once you have an accounting system that is accurate, your accounts are reconciled, everything balances at the end of the year, your tax return matches your your financial statements. Now we have data. We have information that we can use to create budgets, or we have data that we can use to forecast. We have data that we can use to manage cash flow. Because I know for a lot of small business owners, especially law firms, Managing cash flow is probably the scariest part. It's, oh my gosh, am I going to have enough to pay my staff (laughs) in two weeks? Or how many people do I have to hound about accounts receivables or outstanding invoices? And, you know, making sure that you have those things in place, it helps you with managing those things. So now when we talk about the fractional CFO part, the CFO is the strategic part of your team, right? So this person brings in the finance background, of course, because we're looking at numbers. And then we're also looking at it from a strategic standpoint. So we say, okay, this is what's happened in the past. These are the things that we're changing. So your CFO is is still going to want to know what your marketing plan is, or what are some of the things that you're doing operationally? Are you going from 
hourly to flat fee. Those are all things that are still important to the CFO because now we take this information and we look at what happened in the past, what you're changing or what you're going to do going forward. And now we can use that information to to project or forecast what we want to see in the future. Now, sometimes it's off. Sometimes the budget has to be tweaked, but it does give you an idea of what you need to plan for. And budgeting is not restrictive. It's really just a matter of saying, we're telling our money where to go. I like and, that, telling yeah. our money where to go. <laughs> yeah, because some people think, oh, if I create a budget, that means that I can't do certain things. And that's not true. It's just really, you're just saying, with this, you said, this is what I'm going to spend money on. So in my business, I've always had this thing where if I wanted to do something new, so it could be something like investing in a coaching program or something like lawyers. And I say, oh, it's going to be X number of dollars per month for me to do that. Then and the way that I think about it in my business is how many clients do I need to be able to pay for? Or like, what's the return going to be? Oh, this would allow me to get these many new clients. And so that's the very high level way that you you budget or forecast. So now we can break it down into pieces and make it a little more digestible for our Yeah. What came up for me when you were talking, I hear so often from attorneys, how do I know when it's the right time to hire or how do I know if I can hire? I think I need to hire someone, but I'm nervous about it and that that's a big commitment to take on financially. Like I I had someone tell me, I feel like I'm now responsible for somebody else's family. And that really stressed them out. And I think what you're describing is, hey, look, you have the information. You can use this data and have some comfort around whether you can afford it or how much more you your firm might need to make in revenue in order to be able to comfortably pay for this person. And you can. Exactly. Yeah. That is exactly it. That's exactly what we did in our firm when it was time to hire. It was okay based on our current number, we need X number, we need X number more clients. These are the number of clients that we need additional to be able to pay for this. So even when I hired, I did have a cushion. I had money. And so I said, okay, I have my burn rate. Basically it was like, Hey, you got three months <laughs> to get this amount of money in before you are going to burn through your reserve or whatever. It wasn't three months, but just to give you an idea. So that's what you do. You just figure out because a lot of times what that new person brings, a lot of people want to think about this new person is going to bring on additional expenses. You have to think about that new person is going to bring on additional capacity and that new person may be taking some things off of your plate which it, it shifts the stress maybe. So instead of you stressing about, oh, I'm helping to pay for somebody's mortgage, you're like, hey, this person is taking 10 cases a month off of my plate and now I can make it to my kid's soccer game. Exactly. Yeah, or it frees you up to now maybe do some of the marketing that you need to do to attract those new clients and make sure that the pipeline is filled so that you can keep the work coming in. So there's all kinds of, possibilities for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, we keep circling back to how important it is to have clean data, because if we don't have clean data, meaning you don't have that accounting system that is giving you an accurate picture of everything that's going on, it's really hard to be able to make those types of decisions. And I love 
when I get my clients to the point where they're making decisions based on factual information and not how I feel. Because your feelings are nice and we're going to acknowledge them and thank you for sharing. But the reality is when you are making major decisions in your business, they need to be made based on facts. Yes. And numbers, numbers don't lie. People lie, but numbers don't. Yes. Another good quote. And so then I think like when I work with lawyers and they come to me for coaching and they're trying to make decisions about their business, what I'm always looking at is, okay, what are all the buckets this is going to impact, right? Because like you said, you're bringing a new person on, for example, or you're buying, maybe you're going to invest in a new piece of technology and it's okay. Is that technology, it's going to cost money, but what is it going to free up in capacity? Is it going to allow you to move cases through faster? And does that mean... Mm have five more cases per month, what's your average case value? And again, these are not, this is information that you should have. If you're hearing us say average case value, I have no idea what that looks like. The good news is you can figure it out if you have good data, like you, but that's the starting, I'm hearing from you. That's the starting point from everything is if we don't have good data or kind of missing all the opportunities to use it in a really helpful and smart way. Exactly. It, It all goes back to the data. And so That's why it's so important. Like I keep harping on it. I promise I'm not trying to be a jerk, but it is so important that information is there because you cannot move forward um, without that data. And here's another tip, by the way, if you're sitting here thinking, I have a bookkeeper, so I know it's fine. I can't tell you how many times I've worked with lawyers who've said that to me and then they've gone to their book, but they're not getting the information from the bookkeeper. Like they have, they've outsourced it and then they've forgotten about it and you cannot do that. And unfortunately I just had this week with a lawyer, his bookkeeper kind of checked out a few months ago, maybe six months ago. We're not really sure exactly. And so now, yeah, there's some cleanup that's needed because guess what? All these things that he thought were happening in the background actually haven't been happening or we really don't even trust the data right now. So he's got to go back in. Somebody's going to go back in and audit it and make sure it's all correct. So just because you've hired some, that's not enough. You And I know you you do forensic accounting too. So you probably have all the bad horror stories. <laughs> but as a business owner, you got to stay on top of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, that we're working on with clients now, because what I've found is, and it's not just in the legal industry, but a lot of times business owners don't know if the person that they hire is doing what they're supposed to be doing or doing what they are being paid to do. And so we're rolling out a service in a few uh, months where we're going to be like checking the checkers. Business owners can hire us to just come in, take a look at what you have. We just kind of like a flat fee arrangement. We take a look at what you have. Are they doing what you're paying them to do? Is there something missing? Is there something else that they can be doing? So they don't really have to change who they're working with, but it's really just someone else to take like a clean set of eyes to take a look at what's going on in their business. Because a lot of people have been either taken by people who have said that they understand this industry and they don't, or they're paying for something and they're not getting it. So smart. That is a great service. We're going to talk about that more for sure for, I know for our labsters, but I think I just want to highlight for everyone listening. What I heard you say is I saw this problem that my clients, you know, and potential clients were struggling with, and you've now come up with a really creative way for them to solve it. That's going to 
also be a great service for your business to offer. And it gives them a way to hire you for a service without making a change, which can be very costly and disruptive for a business owner. So I just want to acknowledge how smart that is as a client-centered business model and proposition. And that's something we're always talking to lawyers about is they really get in your clients' heads and think about what they're struggling with and how can you solve it differently? Because maybe there is an easy solution there that you could provide to your clients that you just haven't thought of. I love that. That's so awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. One thing I want to make sure we cover that I know you're seeing, because I asked you before we started recording, in your coaching calls, what are you seeing that still is a struggle for people on the finance side? And what you said, I think is awesome to talk about, which is lawyers not paying themselves for the work they do in their firm. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I've been there, first of all. So let me just say that I used to be on this team, pay everybody else, and then I get what's left. And you're doing one, you're doing a disservice to yourself because you're stressing yourself out for minimum wage. And at some point you have to realize, oh my gosh, I could go work at Chick-fil-A and make the same money and leave at the end of the day and not worry about anything else. It is so important that you pay yourself for multiple reasons. One, because you're working. That's the first part. And then two, you won't know what your firm actually, like what your expenses are for your firm if you're not paying yourself. So true. It sounds so simple to say it. And in all fairness and confession, I've been there too. And especially with my husband's business for a long time, we just paid him minimum wage because we were like, we need to pay everybody else. And then finally we, and when we made the shift to paying him for the business to pay him the market rate that he deserved for the, it was crazy how that unlocked things for him. Not one, just feeling good about the work he was doing and knowing, yeah, I'm valued and valuable and I'm adding this value to the business. There's something psychological about having to make payroll. Like he's always been able to pay himself since we switched. Yep. Yeah. Same here. And, I, and that's super weird because I get it because you would think that it'd be the same. Like before when I was like, oh, we'll just pay you what, what's left over. <laughs> I don't know why that is. But knowing that a payroll company is going to sweep your account and you better have money in there. <laughs> but it's so true because what it does is it changes your energy because instead of you as an owner starting to feel like your business is this drain on your soul and your pockets, it now becomes a source of being able to, you can go and buy nice things for yourself or get a massage or um, take a trip or all of those kinds of things. Right. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's some psychological parts to it. We're I'm not a psychologist, but yeah. I know for me, I definitely felt the same thing. When I was paying myself just what was left, my business was mentally and physically draining. And now that I pay myself an amazing salary because I have devoted 20 years of my life to this business. Um, Of course you do. And you're amazing. And now you actually know how healthy your business is because you could replace yourself. No, nobody could replace you, but you could hire somebody to do the work you do in your business and your business would not go out of business, you'd be okay. And by the way, everybody, this same theory applies to our spouses and all of our loved ones who are working for free right now in our business. Oh gosh, please start paying them. Please put them on. (laughs) Yes, if you have a, a loved one who's doing your marketing for you right now, 
they deserve a market rate for the work they're doing. And and what that does is, again, will change the psychology for them and be amazing. But then if they come to you one day and say, guess what? I don't want to do this work for you anymore. You know that your business can easily shift that work to somebody else or hire someone or outsource it. And you're not going to miss a beat because it's a true expense of your business. It's not just someone's sweat. And I get we all do it in the beginning. There's some little bit of sweat equity, but if you're not paying yourself a market rate right now, that needs to be priority number one, I think. Yeah, it needs to be a goal. And so now when we talk about forecasting, let's look, one of the numbers that we need to add to the budget, the future budget is your salary, making sure that maybe it's a gradual increase because you're not really ready financially to be able to pay yourself. But at some point that needs to be the goal and sooner than later. And I guess the last caveat we'll just make is because I know, I know I've got all the lawyers listening like this isn't like tax advice and stuff. And so whether you pay yourself as a salary or a distribution or draw, I always tell people like, I don't really care you as an accountant, you care. But I tell people I'm not going to give you that advice. I'm not trying to give you tax advice or strategy advice. But what I'm telling you is there is a bucket of money that need there are two buckets of money that you should be thinking about as an owner of your business. And one bucket is the market rate you should get paid for the work you do inside your business. So if we had to replace you and somebody else had to do that work, what would you have to to hire them for? What would you have to pay them? And then the second bucket is that reasonable return on your investment. That's what we think of as profits, right? Like at the end of the day, after we've paid bucket number one and all your other expenses, is there actual profit left over in your business? And you, there should be, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yes, and then you get that bucket of money too, but we don't want to conflate the two in our minds, I think is what I tell everyone. And you can give them advice on whether that should be a salary or draw or distribution or whatever you call it. Yeah, and I think that's an individual conversation, and it's pretty trivial at this point. We're we're keeping it high level because we're talking to the masses. The point is, regardless of whether it is Part salary, part distribution. The point of this is just to make sure that you are paying yourself a market rate. You're paying yourself for the work that you do in your firm. Yeah, because at the end of the day, if you are making um, $50,000 and you are working 80 hours a week, you should quit and go work for Chick fil A. Like, really, you don't want that. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't make sense. No, not over the long term. So let's get you a plan. And that's where all the other pieces come into place. But I think like you got to have that information because I think, too, it's worth saying some attorneys don't even realize how much or how little they are paying themselves in bringing home. And so do that analysis and take a look. And if it's not what you're worth, we need to get a plan in place immediately to change that because I always tell everybody, why are we doing this? If not, there's lots of reasons we're doing it. There, you can help all the people and be good, but healthy profits is a piece of having a healthy business. Yeah. All absolutely. right. So this has been so great. I think everyone should now know you, you need an accounting system. You need to know your data and have a way to make sure it's accurate and correct. And you got to pay yourself. And then you, once you have that data, you can start doing fun things. Yeah. And honestly, this is the part that a lot of people will not believe. But if I'm right, please find me on social media or something and just let me know that I'm right. Once you have these pieces in place, 
and you're using real data, you will enjoy doing this numbers. You won't run from the numbers anymore. Most of the people who are running from the numbers, they're running from the numbers because they don't have systems in place and they don't know what it really is. So it's, it's almost like me in the, in the scale. I don't want to get on the scale because I don't want to see that number. And a lot of times people who are not managing their accounting, they don't have a system in place. They're looking at how they, they log on to their bank account in the morning to see how much money they have. And that's what they use to make decisions. When you have those types of methods in place, that's usually when you run from the numbers. But when you have a system in place and your accounts are being reconciled every month and you know that everything, there are no duplicates and there are no missing things, you will enjoy looking at your reports and you'll enjoy looking at those numbers and using those numbers to make decisions. I promise at least 80% of you will be so. Yes, I love it. Find us. Let us know. I know you're right about that one. Such great advice. So great to connect with you uh, today. I think this has been so helpful. And I love the way you just demystify the numbers for our listeners and for everyone who's in our Lawyerist Lab community. Bernadette's our financial coach, and she is amazing, and she makes it simple and easy and fun, which I love. People don't think accountants are fun, but I'm the exception. Yes, I I can vouch. You are a blast and I love working with you. And thanks for coming on today. We'll have you back soon because so much we could tackle. But this was great today and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks for having me. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discussed here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at Lawyerist.com slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to Lawyerist.com slash community slash lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. 